Hello, everyone. I hope you can hear me okay. Very well. Good. Let's say our opening prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Beloved Jesus Christ, Beloved Jesus Christ, Blessed Master, Blessed Master, Dearest Mother, Dearest Mother, Beloved David, Beloved David, Saints and Sages of all religions, Saints and sages of all religions. I bow to all of you. I bow to all of you. Free my life from all obstacles. Free my life from all obstacles. And give me physical, mental, and spiritual development. And give me physical, mental, and spiritual development. Make my mind thy temple. Make my mind thy temple. Make my heart thy altar. Make my heart thy altar. Make my love thy home. Make my love thy home. Be thou the only king. Be thou the only king. Reigning on the throne of my consciousness. Reigning on the throne of my consciousness. Now this is um, something I've been wanting to play for some time and tried to play it last weekend, last week. It's called Prayer to Hanuman by Krishnadas and it's kind of a, there's a Hanuman Puja that this is based on. In fact, it's, it is the Hanuman Puja, but he intersperses the English and I think it's really important for us to see how Hanuman is viewed in, in uh, India and then uh, the teachings of the Ramayana and everything. It's really quite wonderful. And so it's um, about eight minutes long, but it's worth listening to. Thank you. If you haven't heard it before, pay attention to the words too. And you could feel yourself uplifted, under, you know, following it from that point of view as well as the beautiful music. Son of the wind, a fire to burn the forest of the wicked, and a rain cloud of wisdom. Sri Ram, the holder of the bow, lives in your wide open heart. Anuvam Pavana Kumar, Jasu Hradayaga Basihi Rama Sarchabadha Your body shines like a mountain of gold. It's the home of immeasurable power. You are the fire that burns the whole demon race wisest of the wise. Atulita baladhamam Himashelabadeham Danujavan Krishanam Yaninam Agraganiam
first among monkeys, all goodness finds a home in you. You're the most beloved of all Ram's devotees. Son of the wind, I bow to you. Sakalaguna Nidhanam Panaranamadisham Raghupati Priyabhaktam Atajatam Namam For this world, you are like Ram, but for the demons, you are fire. You're the great jewel in the garland of Aramana, son of the wind. I bow to you. Goshpadi Kutavarisham Machaki Kutarakshasam Ramayana Mahamalaragnam Undenilatmajam Anjani's heroic son, the destroyer of Sita's suffering, lord of monkeys, killer of demons, terrorizer of Lanka, I bow to you. Anjananandaram viram Janaki shokanasanam Kapishamakshantaram Andelangarayantaram You jumped over the ocean so easily put out the fire of Janaki's grief. Burner of Lanka, I bow to you. Ulangya Sindho Salilam Salilam Yesh Okavani conquered your mind. You move as fast as the wind. You've conquered the senses. And you overflow with wisdom and mercy. Son of the wind, you are Ram's messenger in this world. Lion among monkeys. Give me refuge. Manojavam Marutatulya Vegam Jitendriyam Udhimatam Barishtam Vatatmajam name is Sun. That's where you go and bow. Your eyes filled with tears of love. Son of the wind, destroyer of demons, I bow to you. I bow to you. Yatra Yatra Ragunata Kirtanam Tatra Tatra Kritamasta Kanjani Ashpavari Haripurna Lochanam 
from Ananda from Papa's Thought for the Day. To turn away the minds from the vanities and the ephemeral interests of this passing world and meditate on the divine, which is the root of all existences, is indeed to attain absolute peace and freedom. So this came in just a little short, about an hour ago. And I was thinking of um, Kate and I have been talking about having a meditation for uh, Master's birthday this Friday, and we weren't sure. And I just asked God, and then I read this next. <laughs> he says, uh, meditate on the divine, which is the root of all existences, is indeed to attain absolute peace and freedom. <clears throat> and I thought, well, it's a nice answer. And the Bible has some interesting verses too. From Psalms 1, line, um, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And from Matthew um, chapter 6, verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. When we were in Assisi, and we got to visit the house that Swamiji passed away in, and was living in uh, when he was in uh, Assisi, and we got to see his his room that he slept in, his bedroom. And in, in that room was a small closet in which he had placed a chair and a picture of Master. And just how moved I was, I really deeply moved. And it affected me, and I still think about it, and I, I know I've talked about it before, that it was at least a good example, a good setting, a good example for all, but also that it, it was a wonderful practice. And so... You know, people who have that kind of responsibility, they're always aware that they're being watched. And so setting an example is important always to, to remember that people are, are investing a lot of, a lot in them. And so to be respectful of the devotees around you like that is really, really important. It's not to be, you know, made uh, into this idea that it's being done for show. It's, it is with it is knowledge. It is with full recognition that this that you are being watched, and that you uh, what should you do with that? So that part should be done in a way that's ennobling and uplifting for people, and giving them a pattern to follow themselves. But also, you find something that you that you do spontaneously and naturally yourself. And you will find that that is always the best way to do it. Knowledge of this uh, condition and, and then, but the condition is set by virtue of your own attainment, your own understanding. You know, Hanuman <clears throat> is, uh, represents the, the purified mind, the mind that is focused directly on God, and only on God, without any interest in anything. We're told that Hanuman was a great and powerful being, that, but he was unaware of it. The Hanuman Chalisa is uh, sung to remind him of his uh, all of the things that he uh, can do and has done in the past. He becomes, in this purified state of the mind, unaware of any of his individual Power. He's focused completely on Ram, on Rama. 
So this uh, is the mother called the monkey mind. The mind has a monkey aspect to it, jumping uh, from one thing to another. In the, in the movie Up, there's a dog that whenever he sees a squirrel, he stops whatever he's doing and jumps, goes after the squirrel. And so this is what the mind is like. But Hanuman represents that mind uh, pointed uh, completely in control not jumping, completely subservient and and uh, directed towards Rama, towards God. Only God is what is what interests him, and he naturally falls into a meditative state. Both the fruit of meditation is a purified mind, and a purified mind is happiest when it is meditating. When meditation takes you up, then you've really excuse me, then you've really, you've really got something to go on. You've got, that's the airplane, the airplane route. That is literally the airplane, uh, the craft, the aircraft itself. Because then you go quickly and you, he's the son of the wind. Now, it's a strange story about how these gods are brought into being, but his father is the wind. And um, Anjali is his mother. And I don't know much more beyond that. But his focus is on Rama. And, um, you know, when I was a young, a young child, I was uh, uh, in the backyard in our house in uh, Yakima. And... Um, I was uh, singing a song and and swinging, and I was uplifted. This is my first experience of that state, uh, where and found out of from which I uh, came out with the absolute in, uh, knowledge that I wanted to be a priest. I think I was six or seven. I was in first grade or so, and, and from that point on, I never had any other goal in mind, though I had other aptitudes and other interests, uh, all through my childhood, that was that part of me was made up. And so I didn't have much doubt until, until you go through more in life. And then when I was in the seminary, I had two extraordinary experiences, several very, very interesting experiences too, but these two both happened when we were at the, every year the, we would do a week retreat at some uh, Catholic retreat center. And I believe that from the two years that I was there, it was the same uh, place both times. And it had its own little chapel. And I liked the uh, service that we had there and just the fact that we were there and, you know, mostly quiet. We were, we were allowed to talk, um, Oh, I forget when. And not mostly we were silent. We were supposed to be quiet, but we were allowed to talk. I think at dinner, maybe breakfast. I just don't remember the details. But I remember liking that chapel so much. And I went in one day, the first time this happened, and sat in the back, and no one else was there. And um, I just sat and was uplifted in the same way. And I did, I had memory of this uh, earlier experience, ten years before or so eight years before, and uh, also just the ease with which the um, state, once you attain it, it's just it's self-replicating, it's self-generating, and you marvel at it, at the, the simplicity of life and the simplicity of all things. This is what universal vision is in a way. It's not like you have uh, knowledge of everything and can see things in other countries or other places. So much as it is, you know, it's just understanding God. It's understanding the divine. And that is so sufficient because it tells you everything in one simple notion, one simple experience that you think you want to know. And then a similar, so the, and the next time I was there, a year later, I had a duplication of that same experience. It was very interesting. 
And so we have to meditate. We have to force the mind to learn to meditate and the body to comply with the requests to live through or to muster through the aches and pains and the discomforts of the body. It's, it is important to get supported well. And if you can sit in half lotus or full, certainly if you can sit in full lotus, you can. It sits your spine up straight in a better way. And But sitting in the chair, Master was perfectly comfortable with that as teaching that to us Westerners. God bless Master for his knowledge and making everything possible. He tried to make it easy for us and tried to make it not be dogmatic about how Indians sit in full lotus. And of course, he himself and his own master, and Lahir Mahasya, these people, they all had done the lotus posture all their life. So it's easier for them. But he was focused, and always master was focused on the experience of God, and that all of the outer elements meant nothing to him. So he could tell us, you get, you do what you can to get this experience and focus on knowledge of God. And one way to help get there is to sit up straight, have the spine be erect, because then the energy flows more, more easily through the spine. When you sit in uh, meditation and you are uplifted first, you automatically straighten your spine. But at the same time, I know many times for myself being very uplifted and I feel myself in a more prayerful attitude and will find myself bowing and the energy in my spine is not affected at all negatively in the sense that the, uh, you know, the, you have to have the spine always straight to have the mental state, the higher state of, that you get from meditation, the bliss and the ecstasy that comes in different stages. These things, once you experience them, then there are no rules at that point about how you're supposed to sit. You know, one of the great surprises in my life was, was, um, watching and being, I had a, period of time, maybe about six months to a year, where I was just so enamored of Neem Karoli Baba. And of course, he sat in all kinds of angles and attitudes, mostly, you know, reclined. And uh, and so, you know, his example from that point of view was that uh, the, the laws don't apply to him. And they don't to us when we attain these states, except that we can go higher. And this is what we must try to do to use this as a platform to go to the next stage. And to ask God to make it easy to meditate, to bring us to the state more easily each time, bring us to the state where our body doesn't bother us, where we're relaxed. No, it doesn't have to be an ecstatic state. You don't have to ask that that be the measure of it. Just start with, Something where you make, you want the body to be not noticed or felt. And you realize when you get a little lift like that, that the body's complaints are gone. And then stay there and you go higher, higher and higher. You know, for myself, my interest was always uh, with for mother and for God. Mother, um, mother's vision of God is was transferable. David and I talked about this quite a bit. That our own notion of God was much the way mother depicted it. This is natural with one's guru that you would take or copy something. But not all of mother's disciples uh, had that, and I'm not saying it's necessary, but it was definitely for me this um, idea of God the Father. And so uh, it's interesting that though the body finally stops maybe bothering you, the higher meditative, meditative states and the higher um, states of bliss, these are always accompanied by this familiarity, this intimacy, this, this uh, knowledge, this feeling of God not sitting next to you, but with feeling well up within you and look out through your eyes. And not because he's lifting up and then looking out your eyes. He's always looking through your eyes. He's always looking at the world. 
He's always seeing the things you're seeing. Mother had a wonderful explanation for how even when a sparrow falls, God knows it. And she said, that's because God is in that sparrow. And that he would obviously know the the sparrow. The sparrow knows it dies. The knowledge is spread about all over the place. But the idea that knowledge and spread out in all of those notions of space and time. These are part of the delusive, delusive aspect of Maya. It is an enchanted view, too. And the proper way, in my opinion, to view Maya is as an enchantment. One that we take up gladly, that we wish to take part in. The problem for us is that we see this world and it doesn't seem very enchanting. And that requires lifting yourself and seeing through God's eyes. That's the trick. When there is only God, you have no other choice but to see the world through God's eyes. And you think, well, I wonder what that's like. And you can imagine it. But it is a state of attainment that you really will feel this certainty that nothing except you exists. I know I talk about this a lot, but it is such uh, a, a thing that's real. And it seems so important for all of us to know that when Master talks about these and Mother talk about these higher states, they're not saying it, though our mind interprets it this way. They're not saying it, this is only for me, and that aren't I wonderful, but rather to show you that this is, show us all that this is a state awaiting all of us. It's something we can reach out. And we can ask God for these things. Know that you are dear to him. And that he wants to lift you into that vision of reality. That purified vision. Master was such a such a tremendous soul. I don't think he's as from a human perspective, it's very, very difficult to understand how such a person walked the earth. Mother said she really felt he's the Christ come again. She knew who he was. We have other stories. We have other ways of looking at him. We have videos. We have audio. <clears throat> but we didn't. We don't have the viewpoint that is expressed by mother and others of what he was in God. I've always loved that one video of Master where some uh, uh, yogi said that Master was a spiritual, known to be as a young boy, known to be a spiritual prodigy. I always thought that's so such a wonderful thing. Way to look, we always think of prodigies as mental prodigies, and he certainly had all of that, but that he was a prodigy for spiritual attainment. And as a spiritual teacher, he had that in his bones as a teacher, Sometimes difficult to understand the view that the mother had of him, though she you know, revered him. But she also felt that um, she knew him, that there was an element that she really knew him. And how, and that gave her that sense of admiration. 
and that he was an he was an example to her of what it could be what it could mean to be human and divine at the same time that when the divine is evident and in residence the human goes away well sometimes the negative human does but the human person is there it's fully in residence also so though full realization is depicted sometimes a withdrawal from the world it's not it's complete understanding and engagement with this world at the same time as being knowledge of your oneness and that's why it's um, possible for these masters to be shaken through many different external things they, and they turn out to be unshakable in their review their vision of God nothing can change them from that nothing can take them from that any thoughts I was wondering if you could talk to us about purifying the mind, Larry. Mm. It seems like this is what, it's a new journey. It's a, it's an easier journey in the last few days. It's, um, God is making it possible for me to be able to, um, be more aware of the thoughts and, um, not allowing a lot of thoughts that yeah. are detrimental. It's nice. It's, I think that's a good definition, or that's a good example of what you, what is meant by purity, purifying. Yeah, it is to be able to see a, the mind cleared of things, and to let the ideas go, to let the the problems, the but all the ideas to all these things we're trying to deal with in our minds. A cessation, but also a relaxation. It's it's uh, it's actually uh, it feels like grace. I feel like it's not me. No, you know, exactly. that's the earmark of all spiritual experience. Is this notion that at least the little self didn't do this? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's recognition of your true self, and we 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 blend right into that so easily. But you know, purity, all of these attainments have, have two aspects to them. And that is, one is the practice of purifying the mind must be engaged in and, 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 and struggled with. So there's an element of us doing it. But the idea that the goal that we attain will be purity of mind, it will take us, um, will will not move us closer to the goal, but rather when the pure mind is purified, that state comes unbidden and is never attached to the sadhana or the the aspect of the working towards purifying the mind. And these are important things. I'm not trying to speak two different ways here, but the actual, when you've realized you've attained it, you realize, first of all, that you didn't do it, as you say, Judy, but also that it is sprung on you. Many, many of the great things that happen spiritually, these are sprung on you. And they come full, fully, fully engaged in, to the extent that you can understand and follow it, to the extent you can handle it too. Because the truth of knowledge of good and evil and the truth of our existence and existence in God but existence itself is so shocking that you can't take it all at once and you wouldn't want to. We have to transition from this human state 
to the divine and take it on and add it to our knowledge that this state exists so that they can, both aspects can be compatible with each other. In the course of that, the human side gets purified. I remember uh, a nice saying of Rumi's that uh, when you see through the eyes of God, you see God. <laughs> and when you mentioned, you know, that God is looking through your eyes out into the world, I'm not, I can't imagine that right now, but this is going to, mm, it's going to work. It, it, you know, God will give me that to uh, think about and try mm. to get some, you know, try to see. Yeah. Big step. Sometimes it's so easy, isn't it? And sometimes it's so hard. Israel is means struggle with God. And jihad means struggle also. So it's natural. But when we come together, it's easier, isn't it? You know? Yeah, sometimes it is, yeah. Um, you know, I have difficulty with groups, you know, in terms of med deeper meditative states. So I've never in really uh, engaged fully in uh, group meditations. And so I, I hesitate saying this, but at least to explain why it, it doesn't, um, it isn't something I, I go after. And yet you're right, some of the great states you can attain happen with other people. Because wherever two or more are gathered, that is, that's a, that's a spiritual truth, and I understand that. But my own experience was so, it's just so different. And so, you know, I've had to learn that and to accept, um, accept it and to try to uh, struggle with that. You know, we were talking about um, mother doing meditations and things like that. And, of course, she did meditations on New Year's Eve, but that's about it, really. We, she never had us come for meditations like David did. And um, you know, it's just uh, maybe she did in years before I met her. She was, you know, she had been a center leader since the 40s, so. By the time I met her, she'd had 30 years uh, doing, trying everything, doing many different things. But um, your mother was unique in that sense. Her own expression of God was sufficient just to be with her when she was in those, when she was in that teaching mode. And we've all listened to some of her talks, so we know generally what I'm talking about here. Well, she's in that mode. It's very, 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 very uh, powerful. And true master, there's no rules around master at all. He, he had carte blanche given to him by his guru, by his guru lineage. Acknowledgement from uh, Lahiri Mahashi is as a child and in, in, in 1935, 36, being given the title Paramahansa. This is not lightly given by someone like Sri Yukteswar. It wouldn't be lightly given. Master had done, at that point, the impossible, and he did much more after that. But each master is different. Each master has a special 
and Mary's wonderful um, personality. Sai Baba of Shirdi used to throw rocks at people sometimes. That's that's a wonderful notion. But it was done to um, shock the person and was explained by some people as throwing against the opposing force that was manifesting in that person. So it wasn't like it was done to all disciples, not by any means, but in fact it was fairly rare. But he did do it. He did shocking things like that. And sometimes some disciples, some people need that. So showing there was no rules, he could do something so outrageous as that. I had a question about... um there was a recording recently um, of David's flame technique of putting things. It was him, you know, guiding, uh, kind of guiding through that. And is that on the website anywhere? Or, like, I have trouble going back and finding things that I wanted. I know, yeah. I know. Well, there's, um, I mean, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but of course, all of his talks are there. And if you know the date approximately or the title, you can search for it. I think Jill knows. Okay. And then most of the devotional music is, there's a page for that. It's similar to, or at least it certainly has all of the stuff that was on the other page, but you kind of have to know a little bit before you can get it to show you what's there. Whereas the way we used to do it, we just had a big long page with all everything there, which a lot of people, you know, the modern way of doing the websites is not to um, to just have just dump a bunch of stuff on the web page that you page through. I I certainly understand why it's it's moved in the way that it has, but there are there, you do have a different experience with the old website versus the new one. Well, what I was saying is I have it was pretty recently, and then. But then going back in my email and trying to find that, I have a hard time. I see. <laughs> Not on the website specifically. Right. Gotcha. But, gotcha. but if that could be on the website somehow, where it could be, where I could find it. Because um, that's a, such a powerful purification. And I had... Mm-hmm. forgotten like just the way that david leads through it is super powerful and just you know just give it an avenue he says and just different things that he says are so poignant and i had forgotten certain things and um well you know there's a new page and you're reminding me and i think we're talking about the same thing you know, he his guided meditations just in general are tri- quite amazing and quite good. I mean, so uh, yeah. Carla has asked that um, Rick um, Ellis is and that he's busy doing that now, going through David's talks because he gave um, guided meditations almost always at the beginning of his talk, and he, so he's just going through them all and then excerpting them uh, out of the. And so we're going to have a place you can go. Uh, for guided meditations and what you're making me think about is we should maybe expand that when we get that up and running to be things like that helpful techniques or helpful guidance yeah that flame technique was Hmm. just priceless is Hmm. priceless (laughs) I'll send it to you again Michelle and fine it was in a it's from a class, not a talk, and so it's oh. um, a little harder to track down. But I'll it, and it's short enough that you can probably download it onto your computer or on your phone itself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But we'll make sure that that goes up um, someplace on the web where it's easy to find. Thank you very much. I wonder, Larry, if you could talk a little bit about um, I'm just working with 
moving, thinking about the, the non-duality, the non-dual and the dual. This is Catherine. Um, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about um, just the way, I don't know much about how Mother spoke of um, things like what's happening in Gaza right now and um, how to understand that in terms of the non-dual. Yeah. Mother mostly didn't talk about politics too much, nor the worldly things, but she would just she would lament the state of the world many times as you pray. You've heard some of her talks. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's back up a little bit and just acknowledge that this is the question that most ministers and priests and rabbis get, and that is how can good things, bad things, happen to good people. In general, and what's the, and what is evil all about? And that's about as evil as you get. The glee that was uh, shown in those people's faces doing that massacring is really, really hard to comprehend. And then we see we see it in the microcosm too, with people we see you know in doing criminal acts in the in the modern world and the, all over the world, of course, too. And uh, yeah. So the, it is, and it is a non-dual as a way of addressing that issue. Is to recognize that that is uh, erupting from the dual world. It's, it's a feature. It's a feature of the dual world. It's not an accident. But it, it is because of our limited vision that we see it the way that we do. And so the question always is, well, what happens if you think you're so smart? You know, whoever is the person teaching non-dualism or teaching what I'm just saying, uh, what are you going to be like? You know, it's kind of like Arjuna is asked to um, dispassionately kill in, in a battle without anger. And so... And, and taking abuse yourself, I mean, taking, especially if you're physically hit and you get very angry when, when that happens, you get driven to, you know, more extreme excesses and, and displays of violence. So that's the extreme position that we're asked to, you know, because we live where we live, we get to be observers. No one's asking, expecting us to take part in that. We're not on the streets watching it happen to somebody else right next to us where we should intervene. We're too far away. We have that comfort or that privileged position of being so far away and having the ability to just watch from afar. But it is, uh, these are all, these are all things that we have to come to terms with in some fashion. Now there are some saints, some great souls who don't, who do the minimum karma here necessary. Mother said, even the angels have to come to the earth to get their full realization. They have to come at least once. And certainly they're not going to go through the full experience. And so we don't have to worry that perhaps we've already gone through this kind of, these experiences and we're given a safe haven for this lifetime. Who knows? But, but we literally have to take the hand that's dealt to us and and do the best we can. But we definitely struggle with watching it because we own this physical world as being our own. And so how did we end up here? Party in some respects, even watching. How did we end up here being having anything to do with the evil of the world. And then Papa tells us the world's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Masters ask this question too. All gurus, all teachers are. The big one for us, in the easy, one of the easier ways, is that reincarnation is explains so much. I think what bothers people is balancing the scales. Uh, you know, the people who believe in only one lifetime. How do you um, explain Bill Gates' son Versus somebody, you know, in Nigeria right now, or some of the, or Niger, I guess, 
but going through some of the things of the well, especially the Christians in in other parts of the world. So how do you explain these things otherwise? You can't do it with a single lifetime. So this is one intellectual way of explaining it, and I think it's the best one, and it's the only one that really does make sense. Is if you're interested in balancing the scales, and justice is mine, you know, saith the Lord. Um, then the reincarnation is the best explanation because the karmic path, the karmic uh, reality will bear down and make sure that whatever is, is meted out by someone will be meted back to them in some other fashion that will be um, paid back. Or so we're assured. And I certainly believe in karma. I think it's literally like the law of, of gravity. It's a very real thing. I'm not just disparaging it. But we don't know where we stand on the ladder. And we don't need to worry about it. We have to accept the karma that we have. But see, I think it's identification with those people going through things, isn't it? So that's that's an empathy. And it's a... It is a way that we share this psychically with these people. So dwelling on it and thinking of it and worrying about it, these all have positive effects on the people enduring it and going through it. This is a shared experience here. So this is why praying for other people and other things is a very, very important thing to do as you feel spontaneously. I think that's probably the best reaction. We can count our blessings, perhaps, but in the same time, recognize that these are blessings in comparison to what the world can mete out to us, to dish out to us. Let's say our closing prayer, and I'll play a, a song of masters that I love so much on the way out. And you can, of course, leave whenever you like, which, is, which of course is generally true, but um, we just use it as a transition period. And then I'll, at the end of the music, we'll I'll close down the Zoom meeting. Okay. O Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Divine Mother, I feel the wonder and the beauty. I feel the wonder and the beauty of Thy glorious presence. Of Thy glorious presence in every part of my being. In every part of my being. My heart is bursting with my love for Thee. My heart is bursting with my love for Thee. I kneel in adoration at Thy feet. I kneel, I kneel in adoration at thy feet and surrender myself to thee. And surrender myself to thee. I feel the power of thy perfection. I feel, feel the power of thy perfection surging in every cell of my body. Surging in every cell of my body. My mind and my intelligence. My mind and my intelligence are radiant with thy healing light. Are radiant with thy healing light. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss of my communion with Thee. Of my communion with Thee. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Blessed Spirit, I am He. Blessed Spirit, I am He. Oh.
हरिओम